Welcome back. We are in our, our Ekorim. We're going through the fundamentals of faith. And we're up to number 11. I want to start off by thanking our sponsors this morning. I'd like to thank Elliot um, Horowitz, who's sponsoring the Ilu Nishmas Penina Devorabas Avram Mordechai for his mother's Yorosite this coming Thursday. Also, um, we are also, uh, there's a sponsorship um, in honor of Mrs. Marilyn Goshberg's birthday. This has continued, continued 29 for many, many years to come. I mean, gesund with the entire mishpacha. Um, I also want to uh, and honor honor the gra- um, gra- um, great um, granddaughter um, who's here. <laughs> um, we want to. I also want to just you know this the, this week specifically just I've been thinking about um, Ben Sion and Ben Shmuel. That's um, Ben Grossman who who passed away this last week, and also another one of our, y- our young. Young men in the uh, in the extended community, Jonathan Arya Adler, that's um, Ricky and David Adler's great nephew, who uh, who, part, who uh, died untimely in um, in a tour in Georgia um, this this last week. And so, just thinking about those two young men, as well, we look constantly to learn um, for the for an Eloi of their neshamos. So today we're going to focus on a concept which sounds very very heavy, but it it is actually remarkably fascinating. And it impacts the way we live on a day-to-day basis. And that is reward and punishment. It sounds like that's a very, very heavy topic. Right? Reward and punishment. But interestingly enough, reward and punishment has less to do with now than it does with then. Okay, so we're going to have to try to unpack this and understand how understanding this really is one of the, the grand rules of life. And it helps us understand what to do now when we fully get a grasp on it. The Ramam tells us, and again, remember what we're doing is we're moving our way through the 13 principles of faith. And um, the Ramam is, is expanding in his explanation of the Mishnahs in the beginning of the 10th parak of Sanhedrin. He's telling us that he has, believes that there, that there are 13 principles, and this is the, the 11th of them, and this is how it goes. In source 1, we're just going to see what he says inside, and then we're going to try to really get a sense of it. By Yasoda Acharasar, the, the, found, the 11th foundation, Hashem will give you good reward for fulfilling the, the commandments of the Torah. And conversely, And will punish those who transgress the, its warnings. And lest you think, well, it ain't so, we don't see it happening, says the Ramam, well, it's not talking about now, it's talking about... Later, right? So it's talking about in the end of the day, that's where we get, that's, who, that's where the final dues are paid. And the worst expression of this is what we call kores, being cut off, which means cut off not just here, but there. That's much more serious. I'm not going to talk about it enough, but he says, I, I will just tell you a few examples. That um, he's, he says, um, if you will bear their sins, fine, and if not, remove me from your book. Who's speaking? Moshe Rabbeinu says, Hashem, at the Egel Azov, if you're going to destroy Israel, then rather, here's the accounting. Remove me from the book. What is he saying? He's saying, take me out of the picture for the hereafter. He says, take me off the balance sheet on their behalf remove my accrued value and shift it over into for their sake. That's what Moshe Rabbeinu is doing. That's, that's, that's crazy. Well, well, this is how far Moshe Rabbeinu is willing to go. And the, what does Hashem respond? And Hashem responds by saying, What does Hashem essentially say? How does this work? This game work? 
There's no transfer of balance, folks. There's no transfer of balance. It's each, each portfolio to themselves. That's how it works. And this is the Ramam learns from here. Says, says the Ramam. It seems very clear from here that Hashem says, everybody's got their personal portfolio. They come with their file at the end of the day. And there's no way for people to exchange files. That's it. Moshe Rabbeinu has his, Bnei Yisrael has theirs, and that's it. This is the Ramam's example of how this works in the long run. Wow, that's very intense. We could have read it differently. We could have thought maybe how Moshe Rabbeinu was saying, take me off you know, the leadership slate. That wasn't what he was saying, says the Ramam. He was saying, take me off the, the map. Right? There's, there's no longer a future. That's, that's, that's scary. So let's, let's try to understand this. When we say it after davening, the way we, we pronounce it is, I believe with a full faith, that Hashem will pay good for those who keep the mitzvahs and punish those who transgress the mitzvahs. Very simple, very simple um, redaction of that. And as we say in Yigdal, just to get the full picture, Hashem gives chesed to a person according to their actions. And gives evil to those who do evil according to their deeds. What's the only problematic word in that sentence? The word is chesed, because usually, here's the deal. If I'm working for you, and you employ me to do something, and I do what I'm supposed to be doing, you're paying my wages isn't chesed, right? That, that's, that's the deal, right? So it's interesting, though, that the way it's described in Yigdal is chesed, food for further thought. Why, why would that be described in such a way? Just as an interesting um, footnote to that. Nonetheless, here we have it. This is what the Ram is telling us. Now this, this it, sounds, it sounds simple, right? It sounds like a very simple system, but it's so complex. Because first of all, you know, th there's a few things we should be asking ourselves. Is, does that affect this world? Meaning, the Ramam is telling us right now that there's this great punishment and this great reward wait awaiting everybody depending on what their lives are, how they lead their lives. So how does that, does that, does that impact us here? Does that, does that change the way we live now? There's a lot of questions we can really ask. What are the mechanics of this? How do you accrue this? Or if it's in or out, then what happens if you're partially in or partially out? When does this actually occur? Does this occur immediately after death? There's so many questions we can ask about how this system operates. And we're going to get into some even more um, darker questions um, soon, when it looks like, it doesn't, um, it looks like it's, uh, that people are not recognizing this. So let's start at the very, very beginning. Here's the big, here's the big question. The first question to start is, is why did Hashem create this world? Let's, let's start at the very beginning, because this is really where it all starts. Now, some people ask this question in a more passive and tame way. And they'll say, why was this world created? It's not good to have passive sentences, folks. So, you know, those who have been doing the English, um, English writing, you have to, do, you have to use uh, um, active sentences. Why did Hashem create the world? It's not why was the world created, because that, the, when you say why was the world created, essentially you're just saying that, you know, it happens. No, no, no. Hashem did it, and He did it for a specific reason. Why did He do it? Now, there's two ways you can work out the rules of a game. So, let's say, for instance, for most of the people in this room, I would assume if you had been dropped on a cricket pitch, that would be a very difficult experience, right? So, how do you work out what's going on in cricket? So, the answer is, Americans don't have, don't have patience for cricket. There we go. There we go. So, most Americans do not, do, not, do not know about cricket or don't have the patience to learn about it. But here's the deal. There's two ways to work it out. Number one is, is what you could do is you, you know that you're going to have to be performing on a cricket team. So what you need to do is you need to whip out the books and study the theory. Another way of doing it is get on the field. And when they say to you, we need a second slip behind the wiki keeper. You're like, wait a second. <laughs> you're like, you, 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 you're like, 
you nod and smile and you see where the other person's walking you kind of like pretend as if you know what's going on and slowly but surely you get the, the understanding you know that a, that a slip is a second catcher who stands next to the wiki keeper who's the equivalent of a catcher who's protecting the wickets which are called wikis and you get a sense of what really is going on so there's different ways of doing it now in life why would Hashem create the world why, why, or why are we doing what we're doing most of us are on the field learning right most of us are kind of like we grow up and we see what people are doing. Oh, well, our parents, you know, go to shul, they do Gemilas Chasadim, they do all these kind of wonderful things, and we kind of get the picture of the game, right? But sometimes it works. Sometimes when we just learn on the field, we, we, we learn misnomers as well, which is why it's sometimes worthwhile <coughs> looking back in the theory of cricket and understanding just the specific laws, because there's certain things you don't get when it's just, uh, just when you're learning from practice. So we need to ask ourselves that basic question, which is like sort of one of the most fundamental questions we can ever ask, which is, why did Hashem create the world? Not just, on the, not just learning on the fields. Now, there happen to be many answers to this, but there is one answer which, which, um, that we're going to f- focus on today, which is um, from the Kabbalistic works of Rav Moshe Chaim Nutzato. Rav Moshe Chaim Nutzato was came well before Chaseros, and he was a, he was a very unusual individual. Um, he lived in the 1700s, and in fact, he was ostracized. He didn't. He didn't get a. Uh, he did not get a warm welcome in the, in the areas that he taught. In fact, he had to leave Amsterdam um, because of his teachings. Um, he, he was a very young man, if I'm not mistaken. He lived to yeah. He lived to, to uh, the ripe age of 39. And uh, in the meantime, if you if you actually see how many books he published, I mean, remarkable things. He had secret societies. A very interesting. Very interesting individual. Um, and uh, one of the reasons why he was, it was so sensitive was because a lot of the work that he was teaching was essentially he took what, the, the, the combination of Kabbalistic and philosophic material and he combined it, he distilled it into very simply understood ideas. And this was a dangerous time for Kabbalistic ideas because, because in 1666 was the Shabzadzi revolution, which, which, and this is in the immediate footsteps following it. So somebody who starts talking about these kind of concepts, there was a person who was in great threat. And um, people were not happy with what he, t- or what he taught. But just to give you a sense, the Vilna Gon, Ram, Rav Eliyahu Vilna said, who lived just after him, <coughs> said that if he had been alive at the time of Rav Moshe Chaim Ritzata, he would have walked barefoot to Amsterdam to learn from him. So, you know, that, that, that's coming from the Vilna Gon, to get a sense of it. He is one of the most remarkable and logical thinkers. We have in, in an encyclopedic thinker we have in the realm of Jewish philosophy. And he has a book called Derech Hashem, which essentially is an encyclopedia of all Jewish ideas. It's very, very worthwhile to, to, to read. In fact, Rabbi Arya Kaplan gave the translation on one of the Feldheim versions. <coughs> so they have, a, they have a pocket edition, which is the old edition. They have a new translation recently. Um, and, the, and the beautiful thing about Rabbi, Rabbi Arya Kaplan's translation, naturally, is the footnotes at the back. So he shows you where it all comes from. It's really, really remarkable. Um, and um, I want to just work with, through with that, let's work through together the, the beginning section. We're going to leave out the introduction. Okay, so he talks about the logic of the book. We're going to leave out the first section which talks about Hashem. Now he's going to talk about this world. Why is it this world? It means like a basic question. So why, why are we here in the end of the day? So the, 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 the Derech Hashem, Rabbi Moshe Chaim Ratzata, starts off on the um, top page 2. Under the caption, what is the purpose? He says, Atachlis Abriya. The purpose of creation is the following. The purpose of all creation was for Hashem to do good to another. Hashem wanted to do good to another. Now, that sounds almost too simple, right? 
So here's, here's the catch. Let's try to exp ex explore this logically. Let's say you have a really nice neighbor and you really wa want to do good to them. They have just always been good to you and you want to do the best you can for them. So what would you do? Buy them flowers on, on Shabbos? <coughs> you know, what was that? Invite them, for dinner. Invite them for dinner. Give them a cookie platter. Maybe help them out if they need help financially. Spend time with them. There's so many things we could do to do good to another person. The issue is over here. We just sort of trans translate this. Here's, here's the issue. Is, is if you are God, right? So first of all, there is no other at this point in time, right? So there is, there is nothing to or no one to give to. That's, that's the first, there's no neighbors right now. Number two is, is what, what exactly are you giving, right? Meaning to say, what is the greatest good you could give to somebody else? Let's, let's just try to, try to appreciate that. What's the greatest thing you could give to somebody else? Life. So life, right? But then that, that would have been achieved by him creating us, right? Something of yourself. Something of yourself, maybe. So, the, so this is the way he explores it. So he says, look, if, if Hashem is absolute and perfect and he wants to do good, he has to give the best good, right? <laughs> and so what is the best good? <laughs> what is the best good? <clears throat> the best good is, in the world, himself. God himself, right? So that's what he says in the next paragraph. And um, he says, amiti. <laughs> Anything outside of God is not full shlemus, is not full completion or good. So therefore, if God wants to give the greatest good to another, he has to give what, ultimately? Himself. himself. Right? So here's the, here's, the, here's the thing. Hashem wants to give to, uh, to another creation. But the best thing he can give is himself. So ultimately, what should he do if he wanted to do this is just give himself, right? Whatever that means. But here's the, here's the catch. The problem is, is that you can't just give things. You can't just give things, because so apparently just giving something so is deficient. Right, oh, so, so Dr. Uh, Mr. Price is, is pointing out that it depends on the other person accepting, but it's even more than that. What happens if the other person accepts? The in fact, you, just by giving, you undermine it being the greatest good you could give. Why? Okay, good. So what happens is we all know the feeling. We know the feeling when somebody does something really nice for you. But you, you wish you could have done a little bit of it yourself, right? We all know the feeling when somebody like, goes, goes above and beyond and you kind, of, you kind of feel a little bad, right? You, you feel that maybe, maybe you, you, you could have or should have or somehow in a, in a parallel universe could have maybe able, been able to have earned that. This is how he describes it in the, in the next paragraph. This is the, how we get it um, under the little bays on page two. In order for the recipient to really own the good, it has to be that they actually acquire it rather than it just being an accompanied you know, diploma on the wall. This is what I got. No, this is what I earned. Right? Skipping through the ellipses. Therefore, Hashem created two systems, pure fullness and lack of fullness in this world. And He created a creation which has the ability to choose to get Shlemus or not to get Shlemus. Equally. 
and this creation will now have means and it has the ability to make the choice either to adhere to Shlemus or to move away from Shlemus. Which means now, when that creation decides to do good and therefore earns what we call dveikos, which means the closeness with God, which is receiving the greatest good, then that creation will have earned it. Because what's called in the Kabbalistic literature, if it doesn't earn it, it receives it still, but that's what's called nama de kisufa, bread of embarrassment, because it didn't earn it. The creation didn't earn it. But the fact that this, this, this poor creation has two options, can choose, and let's put it in a very, very simple state, um, we'll call it simple um, environment. Let's say that environment is Gan Eden, and the options are to eat or not to eat from the tree, right? That's, those, are the, those are the options. So it's a very, very, we'll call it a binary option, right? That's a bit of a dangerous term these days. The, we have binary options over here as to what it is, zero or one. So Hashem says, I'm creating this environment because if you do the right thing, you earn proximity to me, which is the greatest good I can give. But I'm not giving it to you, you're earning it. So I'm creating an environment in which you can earn it. And therefore, ultimately, that's the greatest acquisition you can get by coming close to me. That's the, that's the, that's the framework of, this, um, of the system. And therefore, he says, so why is there a world? In the next paragraph, Dalit, for ha'ikar shebebriyas v'ha'amel bahem. He says, Therefore, in order for this reality to reflect these different ideas, shall shlemus v'chisaron of fullness and the choice otherwise, shezocharon that we mentioned, v'timsa habria shezocharon b'toicha and b'tchuna shehit tzricha liyos, and this and and for to be well calibrated for this creation to be in this system, pirush be'ev sharus lebeza inyanim. It, which means that it can choose equally between these two options. That it has a choice to choose Shlemus and move away from lack. There needs to be a whole bunch of things in this obstacle course then. So he goes on to explain, therefore God needs to create an environment. We'll call it this, um, you know, the Truman Show, essentially, uh, you know, the Havdiel, right? Everything now needs to corroborate that same, that, same, uh, that same goal. So everything in the world is now about setting up that equal balance of being able to choose the right thing or the wrong thing. So everything, celestially, terrestrially, everything else is reflecting that simple choice. Because that simple choice is about how we get the ultimate goal. <coughs> and therefore he goes on to talks about how free will operates, why it is necessary that we always have equal free will. <laughs> he continues on, on the next page, we're not going to do that. And finally, um, that's why there's a body and a soul, because that's the equal balance of the pools in both directions. And finally, at the end of, uh, on, on page 3, in, in this little paragraph, Gimel, when can we cash in? He says, <laughs> He says, there's a boundary to how much you can do this. So when a person accrues enough choices of the right, then ultimately they enter into the place they deserved or they earned. Therefore there are two time frames. 
Echad zman ha'avoida, one is the time of working towards shleimus. Ve'echad zman kibul haschar, and the time where you receive it. Ve'olam midas ha'tov meruba meruba, she'avoida yesh la zman mechukak komosh gozra chach masai. The working phase of this experiment is limited. Right, there's a certain limited amount of time where we have opportunity to make choices necessary to earn what Hashem wants to give us, which is proximity dveikos to Him, closeness to the greatest spiritual being in the world. Um, and, and therefore, he says, and that's why, but the, but the world to come is eternal. And therefore, when you get to there, or when we all get to there, we're either in eternally or out eternally. But the, the choices made to get there, in or out, are made in this limited scope, on this limited span. Now, he goes, there's a lot more details. I mean, this is an oversimplification over here. But if you think about this for a moment, this, this is just remarkable. So what's the whole point of this, of this whole business? Is our choosing to do the right thing in order to get to the place that he wanted to give us so we would earn it, and that's the real shame that we can get. And therefore, in the next world, if we did the right things, we will ultimately earn our place in proximity to Ta'akadosh Baruch And if we don't, unfortunately, we'll be responsible for the fact that we didn't earn it. So, this is the, the, if this is true, if you think about this, this goes back to what the Ramam was saying. The Ramam says, what is this, this, this 11th principle of faith? The fundamental is that there is schar and onesh. That's not a, that's not like, like you know, the fine print in the, in the cell phone contract. That's the deal. That's, that's everything, right? That means to say the whole point of everything we're doing is that. Right, the schar and onish is not talking about you know whether you know you, you, you know the, the right coffee shop opened up in the right neighborhood near us. That we're, we're not talking about the you know the the, fr, the you know the icing on the cake. We're talking about everything this world's about, whether where we're going, where we're not going. That's what this all comes down to, and this affects the way we, we we play the game. Right, this is how we play cricket now. This is a theory. So that means to say that therefore all our actions when we wake up in the morning, we live in a more complex world than the world of Adam and, and Eve. Adam and Eve had a very simple binary game. It was, you're gonna, you have to eat from these trees and you're not allowed to eat from that tree. That was, that was simply the framework. It was a very, very simple framework. And by making the choice, if humanity had chosen to go in the direction of acquiring Shlemus, that would have been the end of that, of that experiment. Adam and Eve would have now earned their, earned their, their Olam Abba, earned their eternal reward, and that would have been the end. And by the way, it was very difficult for them because... It was equally weighted decision. We're not going to get into what was so weighty in that decision right now. But remember what the, the, the Ramchal says. It has to be an equally weighted decision for them to make. And there was a lot of reason why they chose the other option. When they chose plan B, that set the world into, we'll call it plan B the, um, as a whole. So we're now all, we're all in option, the, the second, second tier of creation. Where it's no longer 1 versus 0. It's now 613 biblical with a whole subterrain of rabbinic. Which now, those are all the choices. It's a much more complex reality we live in, but it's an expansion of the same zero or one. And so therefore, our lives are led with that type of, with, with that type of awareness. All with a, we'll call it a waiting accrual. We're, we're, not, we're not getting, we're not seeing the ultimate reward right now. It's waiting for the, for the, for the end game. That's kind of like the, ba- the basics. So, there's a few, there's a few questions we, we, we can ask. Is, that's all very nice of the Ramchal telling us that, but you know, where do we sit in the Torah? Meaning like... Shouldn't this be like a, you know, one of the you know, basic, uh, basics that, that, that the Torah talks about? So the Torah does talk about it. The Torah talks about it in many places. Where did the Ramam say that the Torah talks about it? The, when the Ramam is describing this. Where did the Ramam say, say that, that we learn this from? <coughs> what was that? 
Moshe Rabbeinu, right? So he says, Moshe Rabbeinu talking about removing me from the book, right? What he calls, what, what the Rabbim calls? What was, eh, what was that? Right, so the, 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 what, we, what we call excommunication, ultimately, right? Excommunication is what the, where the Rabbim talks about this. He says, if there's a possibility of cutting oneself off totally and absolutely from one's creator, that means to say that's, that's hinting to us that there's a system of attachment or detachment, right? And, that's the, and this is how it works. This, this is um, to be found if we take a look at the bottom of page 3. Vayikra Yurches tells us, When it comes to immorality, when, when people transgress certain immorality, that means to say that they are now going to be cut off. That's what the, the, the Torah uses the word kores. And the Ramban, Nachmanides describes this three levels of kores. There's kores Rachman Litzon in this world, which means to say that a person will um, die early, not to the, to the age they should have lived. But then there's the more serious kores, which is that in the future, there's a cutoff. There's no, they're not part of the collective in the world, in the, in the hereafter. They're not part of attaining Shlemus. That's a terrifying, terrifying concept. There's 36 <coughs> times the Torah talks about this. Most of them relate, relate to illicit relationships. It's interesting as to why that is. Some of them relate to uh, the Holy of Holies. There's a lot of, there's a, this, is, this is a very, very heavy section in Torah. This is where the Ramam says we learn it from. But there are other places, there's more positive places we learn it from. That's the negative. Another example is, is when it talks about, when it talks about, um, there's, there's two mitzvahs which talk about long, longevity. What are they? So the, the Torah talks about longevity by honoring one's parents and Shiloh HaKain, sending away the mother birds. So the Gemara in tells us in Source 3, the Gemara tells us a terrifying story. Tanya Rabbi Devei Rabbi Yaakov, in the yeshiva, the house of Rabbi Yaakov, it was said, and call mitz, uh, in Source 3 on page 3, Ein l'cha kol mitzvah u mitzvah shebatorah shematan schorah betzidah, there's no such thing as a mitzvah in the Torah, which is only talking about reward here. The, right, and, it's, uh, and these examples, <coughs> when it comes to respecting one's parents, as it says, that you should have longevity and you should be good, it should be good for you. And that it all should be good for you and you should have long life. What happens in the case, the following, which was something which did happen historically. A, f- a father says to his son, Please climb up to the, this building and get me the, the chicks. So uh, send away the mother bird, bring me back the young, the young birds. The child went up, sent away the mother bird, and took the, the young eggs, or the young chicks, and on the way back, fell and died. Where, pray tell, did the, where did the, how did that work out? That seems to be exactly against the, what the Torah said. It says, Rabbi Yaakov, it cannot be referring to simply within the here and now. It must be referring to the ultimate reward and punishment, which is in the world to come. By the way, in case we think that this is an uh, this this is a this is obvious, there were people who mista- mistakenly made a mistake when looking at this, and none other than Acher, Elisha ben Avuya, who saw this this incident and could not understand. There is no possibility. The Torah says X and th- and Y happened. How could this work? Therefore, he said that's it, uh, enough for me, and he went off the rails. That's what the the the, the Gemara concludes with in this in this same Gemara. But nonetheless, the Rabbi Yaakov says logically it can only mean that the Torah is talking about 
olam haba, because otherwise it doesn't work within the frameworks of this world. That's, an, uh, that's another example on the positive side. And by the way, folks, we say this all the time. An example, in source 6, in our davening, we say, we talk about this all the time. Here's an example. The first thing, and one of the first things we say in the morning, Hashem, you gave me a pure, a pure spirit. You, you, you created it. You, you fashioned it. You put it, you blew it into me and you're going to return to it. You keep it in me. And you're going to take it away from me. And you're going to return it to me in the future. I mean, if we read the end of Uval all these parts of liturgy are talking about the fact that there is a hereafter. There is a world to come. We talk about it all the time. It's part of our liturgy. Yes, Steve. Great question. Great question. That's a really good question. So that actually relates to, to a little bit of the next section. Um, and so hang on for, hang on for just a moment. Um, well, yeah. It sounds like you're saying reward is only in Allah. Mm -hmm. There's no reward in Allah. Right. So again, coming back to liturgy, when you say the Birkas Torah, we say, that we get reward in this world and the Karen Kaimas Lalama Ba. Meaning to say that apparently there's something that's happening in this world as well. So that's the question that you're sort of touching on. Now I just want to just recap quickly and then we can move into this. Okay, just to make sure we, we are on the same page. And then we're going to move, move forward. So here we go. The Ramah has told us that reward and punishment is one of the fundamentals. The Ramachal says not only is it a fundamental, it's the, it, it's basic, the basic coding of this universe. That, that's why we're here, right? And the Ramchal describes why it is that Bechir exists. It's all in aid of this, right? It's all in aid of the ultimate game, which is, which is attaining Olam Abba. That's what we, we, we study. We saw a few examples of that when it comes to the negative side of the notion the Torah talks about Kares. On the positive side, where the Torah talks about Leman Yitavlach, that there is a future which cannot be within the constraints of this world, which a person is going to gain from. We, we see that the liturgy itself is replete with this notion. That's what we've done up till now. Now I want to ask you to just push into, into Steve's question, which I know that a number of us are thinking about, and that is, how does that relate to this world? Meaning, in the end of the day, <coughs> this world's very complex without even having to think about the next world, right? There's so many things which are going on. How, does that, how, how, do, the two, the, how do the two work with each other? So we actually dealt with this um, about nine months ago, um, just before Rosh Hashanah, in a very heavy share. We talked about three books and three, uh, three judgment days. I don't know if anybody remembers this. We talked about how there's really, the, the Gomorrah itself talks about three sets of judgment days. There's a judgment day, and we, I was going to just, just conceptually move through this pretty fast, because it's not the focus of, of today as much, but it does relate to this world. And that is, there's three judgment days. Number one is, when, what's the most common judgment day we all know about, and that is? Rosh Hashanah, right? Rosh Hashanah is an annual judgment day. Then the Gomorrah talks about the day of death being a judgment day, so we'll call it a bigger cycle. And then finally, there's the ultimate judgment day, that's before Olam Abba, right? So there's three cycles of judgment days. So how do, they, how do they all relate to each other? So the way the Ramban understands it, the, you see, the, the problem is like this. The Gomorrah says that a person is nidon on Rosh Hashanah, that the people who are tzaddik in Gomorrah, great, check, they go into the right place. People who are Rosh Hashanah are going to the wrong place. And then there's the Benonim who wait until they sort of, their, their, their balance is equivocated. Now, and then, and, and the problem is the Ramban says that it just doesn't work out that way. There's some really, really good people who don't live through the year. And some really, really bad people who have many, many, many good years. Just, it, it doesn't, that, that Gomorrah doesn't, 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 uh, isn't, it, it does not uh, coalesce with the reality we're watching. So how does that work? Now that's a pretty heavy question. So, you know, that, that we could spend, uh, we could spend years and years and years talking about this and still not understand and still, and still cry at the end of it. But, 
The Ramban does make one suggestion which is, which is, which is worthwhile thinking about. And that is, is that all three judgment days actually work with each other. Which means to say the following. The ultimate judgment day, we need to start at the end. The ultimate judgment day comes back to this, the, this concept of the Ramchal and the Rambam. Which is, that in the end of the day, every human being has the choice of putting themselves in or out of Olam Abba, The eternal world, world, world of reward. And there are tears within that world of how proximate a person will be. You know, they tell the day, uh, I'll leave the joke for the end. Um, but I don't want to distract myself. But um, in the end of the day, a human be- every human being will be either in or out. But the problem is you can't be half in or half out, right? So what happens if you have a person who's generally a very good person, but there were things, right? There were things. We're all human. Some people are more human than others, but we're all human, right? We all make mistakes, or vice versa. You have a person who's really a terrible person, but they did do good things. You know, Isabel was a terrible human being, right, Jezebel. But she did good things. There were some good things she did. She was Mesameh Chassan and Kala. When, when weddings came by, she used to clap and dance for them, right? So there were, certain, there were certain things that even the worst people do. So how does that work? Meaning, there's, no, there's nothing which is swept under the mat in God's accounting books. Nothing just suddenly disappears, good or bad. So the way the Ramban understands it is, is that each judgment day works, works with each other. Depending on where a person is heading, which direction the ship is pointing, and that's up to us, depending on where the ship is pointing, ultimately, that will therefore d- dictate which door the person is going through in the ultimate, ultimate judgment day. Depending on that, the other, the other side of the counter needs to be taken care of. So let's say a person's ship is pointing in the right direction. Be'ez Hashem, we'll all be there, Be'ez Hashem. But they have a few things, they have a little bit of baggage. That baggage needs to be sorted out before they get to that door, right? Because the person can't go in holding that baggage. Right, so something needs to be done about that. So there's two places that can be dealt with. One is in Olam in this world, that there needs to be an accounting made for those kind of things, which could be taken care of by Shiva, or Rahman if there's not the suffering in Shiva, suffering in another way. Or in the Olam Anashamas, which is the hereafter before Olam where a person, there's also, we know we talk about within the first 12 months after a person passes away, there's, a, there's also a corrective process happening, which are, is allowing a person to be fully 100% pure to enter into that door, which they deserved. But there needed to be an accounting for those, those little, that little bit of extra baggage, because the majority of them was pointing in the right direction. That's the way the, the, the Ramban understands it. So therefore, if you think about this, what that means is, in the, in the way the Ramban is, is understanding this, the ultimate goal is schar and onish, the big reward and punishment with the big R and the big, uh, big P, right? That's, that's what the whole world's about. But there happens to be the, the, we'll, call the, 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 we'll call the minority of what a person is doing, the, the baggage, and that needs to be taken care of, and that's taken care of on an annual basis or in the Olam Anishamas. It is easier, says the Ramban, to have it taken care of in this world. It is easier to have those kind of things taken care of here than have to wait after, uh, until, until after, after a person passes away. But that is as a byproduct of the ultimate reward and punishment. That is, this is the way he sees it. There's a lot more to be said about this. Um, but, uh, you know, they say, they say the, the, famously, the story is, is you know, about an individual who's walking you know, um, 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 uh, you know, after Me'av Esrim, and they're walking, and they're, they're, there's a long... There's a long hallway, and at the end of the hallway, they see light, and they're walking along, and they hear this ter- a tremendous r- a rumble from behind them, and, um, and these huge black trucks coming. And he, see, and he, see, and he, and he says, well, I'm go- where are you going? He says, oh, we're going to judgment, the Judgment Day as well. So they said, okay. He says, do you have any space in there? <laughs> we're, we're actually carrying your Averos. We, there's just no space in here. <laughs> so he looks, he, there's not even space on the, the seat next to the driver. And, and 
And so the, the trucks just keep going, and he, he loses count after a certain time, just how many black trucks, 18-wheelers, are buzzing him. <coughs> so he is, he is getting a little nervous right now, and he carries on walking, he's walking towards the, e the end, and then he hears a little, you know, rattle, and, um, and there's a little, you know, Beetle, you know, Volkswagen Beetle, which is coming, a little white car, and, um, and he says, he says what, what's this? He says, well, this is your Maasim Tovim. These are your goodies. He says, well, can I catch a ride? He says, yeah, sure, there's lots of space. There's a little box in the, on the back seat. And, um, and they say he takes a ride, and there's a huge scale over there. And, um, and they, they, in the meantime, the 18-wheelers have finished unloading these big black boxes. And uh, in the meantime, they, they, you know, they, they, they fling up the little box in the back of the white beetle. And, um, and it's not looking so good. And then he has another rumble. And the rumble is, there's a very, very large purple 18-wheeler starting to come in. What's happening? So they said, they said, don't worry, this is, this is the suffering that you had. This is all the suffering. And, and the trucks reach beyond and beyond and beyond. They could ever see that he could even see. And they start unloading onto the side of the little white box. And the scales tilt, 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 to that, that direction. That's the story I tell apocryphally. But the, the notion of that there is a corrective process which allows a person to get into, ultimately, the doorway, which is the big scar and onish. That's the way the Ramban understands it. Now, if this is true, just to, just to appreciate this, um, if this, if this is, just to understand how this, how this relates to us, if this is true, then the problem is, is that, the problem with this whole business is, is that this is very important stuff. I think we'll agree on a scale of 1 to 10. How important is this for us to know, you know, as human beings, doing, doing Hashem's will? 12. This is like a 12, right? This is, like, this is like kind of like the first thing a child should be taught. It's like, you know, boys and girls, this is the game plan, right? This is what we're doing. So you would expect the Torah to start with, you know, before Beratius, there's like an indent, there's like a, you know, a, you know a enter, 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 big space, box, NB next to the box in red in this Torah scroll. No. Folks, this is the aim of the game. And you know what the funniest thing is? The Torah never talks about it. Even the Shulach came, even the Kares. That's the Mephorashim explaining what the hint of the Torah was. That when it says, That's what it refers to, is referring to the world to come. It's in liturgy where we see, it's in the Gomorrah we see you talking about the world to come. But isn't this important enough to tell us? Right? I mean, this should be like A, B, C. This is it. This is what it's all about. And the Torah doesn't talk about it. In fact, not only does the Torah not talk about it, the Torah ignores it explicitly. It's all in hints. He has an, ex he has an example. The Torah tells us what happens if you're good people. Here we go. Parshas B'chul Koisai. Here we are. Source 8, page 6. The Torah says, In B'chul Koisai Teilechu, if you listen to me, if you do my mitzvahs, this is it, folks. We're on the edge of our seats now. Now we know the Torah is going to tell us the whole game plan. This is what it's about. Says the Torah, There's going to be good rain. Oh, wait a second. <laughs> that doesn't sound like what the Rambam was talking about, the big picture, right? It's going to be good crop cycles. There's going to be security. You're going to have satiation. And the Torah goes on and on and on. And doesn't talk at all about... At all. At all. But that, that's not a problem. Meaning, if this is so central to the way we operate in life, then the Torah is being, being a little bit, you know, um, we'll call it a... You know, obfuscating the, 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 real, the real issues over here. It's giving us the wrong impressions as if it's all about the here and now. That's a little bit of a problem. Moreover, if you read through the all of Tanakh, you will notice, you're going to hold the question for the end, okay? You'll notice in throughout Tanakh that the people in Tanakh don't speak to God as if they're thinking about Olam Abba. 
What do I, what do I mean? Example. Avram Avinu sees there's an injustice about to occur. He, he knows that Hashem has just told him that he's going to destroy the cities of the plain. He's going to destroy Saddam and Amorah. What does Avram Avinu do? Avram Avinu gets up there and gives his speech and he starts waging an argumentative war with God. Avram Avinu, you don't know the full picture. What about the world to come, Avram Avinu? Right? Meaning, Avram Avinu, just relax. There's another world. It's all going to work out in the end of the day, right? Just, just, just calm down. You don't know what Hashem's full picture is. Why does Avram Avinu fight? He's, he's dealing with the issue as if there's only here and now, right? That's, that's the way he's arguing. Moreover, when you, re- when you read through, let's say, Sefer Eov and all his friends, you know, say to him, Eov, you know, you, you know the reason why you might be, must be suffering? You must have done something. You know, obviously there's something in your life which hasn't been ironed out. Always need friends like that, right? Um, um, what, they ultimately say, what they ultimately are saying is, what they ultimately are saying is that, is that there must be a cause within the constraints of this world for the suffering here. And, and Eov goes backwards and forwards. Nobody says in the whole of Savior Eov, don't worry, it's all about... Oh, why don't they say that? Right? Do, what, is, isn't this... The Ramah says it's the 11th Ikka, right? So, moreover, like let's, let's say when you get to Sefer Tehillim, David Melech, we, we, the, the Sefer Tehillim that we know generally, for those who are not going through Sefer Tehillim on a constant basis, um, there's the, the, the third book of Tehillim is the part which doesn't make it to davening as much. As much. The third book of Tehillim is about where David Melech really says, has some very, very dark thoughts. Right? We, we, we get the fifth book of Tehillim, we get a little bit of the first book of Tehillim, the upbeat parts of Tehillim. David Melech really struggles. He has an example in some of the third book of Tehillim. Um, Mizmor, uh, this is Ayn, Ayn Gimel and Ayn Tess as an example. Mizmor Asaf, Elokim Bogoim Banachlosech on the top of page seven. The, the nations have entered your territory. Timu Esechel Kotshecha, Shamu Es Yerushalayim Liim. They've destroyed Jerusalem. Nosnu Es Nivlas Avodecho Machalo Ofa Shomayim Besar Chasidecho Lachais Oretz. They leave the corpses of your families at a Shalom Zachor on Friday night, killed by terrible, terrible brainwashed animals. Their corpses lie around Jerusalem without being buried. We are an embarrassment to the rest of the world. The AP will only, 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 only report about metal detectors and not about massacres. When will this, ha- when will this continue until, says Dovramelech? This is where we, try, we, we take that one moment of anger in the Seder. It's taken from this, from this passage over here. Pour your anger on them, God, says David Melech. Because they, they ate Jacob and, they, and, they, and they, they destroyed or they desecrated his place. And this is now the Psukim of Tachlun. Why do the nations question our godliness? Why do they question whether we, whether we have been rejected or not? Dara Melech doesn't have any answers in this. This Mizmor Tim doesn't have any answers. At the end, he just says, We're your people, and we're always going to praise you. He doesn't have an answer. So, again, in Ayn Tess, on the left hand column, Look at these evil people doing so well. I'm suffering all the time, says David Amelech. Every morning. Every morning. 
I try to understand this. I can't understand it. I don't understand this world. And the end of the at the end of the the, the Mizmore, he says, He says, Look, I just don't understand. I just don't understand, Hashem. I really don't understand. There's an answer. Read the Rambam. The Rambam tells us in the 11th principle, it's all about Schar and Onesh. You know why this is all happening? Don't worry, there's an Olam Abba, David Amelech. David Amelech does not answer that. David Amelech doesn't say that it's fine, it's all going to be alright in the end of the day. David Amelech says, I don't understand the world here. Eos says, I don't understand the world here. Avram Avinu says, Akash Baruch is not fair here. What's the Rambam been telling us? It's all about? There. Olam Abba, there. How does this work? And, and the, by the way, this, 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 is, this troubled me for many, 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 many years. Many years. Because it seems like Tanakh, although Tanakh clearly assumes Olam Abba, Tanakh does not deal with Olam Azeh as if there's an Olam Abba. You know, the way, the way that people speak is as if they're only interested in finding out the Olam Hazeh. The Torah itself talks about it as if from that perspective. So if this is so important to us, if this is so fundamental, the Ramchal opens up his introduction to how life works, we're talking about the fact that there is an Olam Abba, and that's the whole, that's the whole system. At the end of the day, then why is, it, why is the Torah not put this in an explicit italics at the very beginning? Rather than leaving it for, for the, the hints of Chazal to derive it. Very strange. This is a very big question. And um, anytime we're going to find a reference to it, by the way, except for the Sefer of Daniel, any time you find a reference to Olam Abba, it is a drash. Means that you know, Kodesh uh, Baruch talks about how um, that, that you know uh, you're gonna you're gonna die, and the nation are gonna get up, and they say if you recalibrate the the, the psukim, it means that you, you, after you die and get up, you're gonna have tchias amesim. All these things are drash, which means that the Torah includes them, but not on an explicit level. Why doesn't it include it explicitly? So there are many, many, many answers, many fabulous, fantastic answers, which will resonate across the board. The Klei Yachar, in the beginning of Parshish Bukhokos, that deals with him, he lists seven of the most famous answers. The Abarbanel, actually, he's summarizing the Abarbanel, who goes to, t- to town explaining the, the answers of the Rishonim. There are incredible answers, very, very, very meaningful answers on this. We're not going to do them all now. But one, one, one particular answer, which I think is very important, and this really captures everything that we've been talking about, and that is the following. I'm uh, sorry, we're going to go a little over, and that is the following. Um, here we go. The Rama says in Hilchus Chuvah, the Ramam addresses this. The Ramam himself in Hilchus Chuvah addresses this very issue and he says the following. Um, he asks exactly our question, um, which should be obvious to anybody reading the Torah. It's, it's clearly a problem. The Ramam says in Source 13, This is how it works. Anybody who does the mitzvahs and understands them, remember the Rambam is very concentrated on focus on understanding Hashem. Anybody who does the right thing and understands Hashem, the ultimate goal is the world to come. The Roy of who is Zoycher, and to the degree of the actions and knowledge, remember the two go together in the Rambam's world, to the degree that a person has achieved in these realms, that's the degree they're going to get. So if we're doing the right thing, 
we're on the right direction. So Hashem says, you know what I'll do? I'll make it easier for you to do what you need to do. I'm going to remove all the obstacles in this world, which are sickness, war, poverty, all the things which stop us being able to do what we need to do. I'll remove them from you. So Rama says, what is it talking about the beginning of Parashas B'chukai If you listen to me, I'll give you all these things, rain, satiation, peace, health, all those things. Why is it talking about things in this world, says the Rambam? Very clearly, because that is what we call the expense account. The expense account. So, you, so your company says, you're going to go make sales in Cleveland today. So off you go, and the company says you get a salary, and here's your expense account. You have X amount, you can submit the receipts, or use apps today, and you're going to be able to your travel, your hotel, all the necessary, you know, you, you need to take people out to dine, to, to, to close some deals. That's what we're going to give you, right? Now, those two shouldn't be confused. Let's say you come back to your company, you close three deals, you come back, and you say, okay, I'd like to check at the end of the week. And they say, no, no, we allowed you to stay in a five-star hotel. We allowed you to dri- drive, you know, a, we'll call it a level two car. And that's your, that's your salary. You're like, no, 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 no. That was the expense account necessary to do my job. I now need salary for doing my job. You see, there's a difference between the two. The Ram says, what's the Torah talking about in Pashas V'chuk is the expense account. Hashem says, I'm going to make it easy for you to do your job. I'm going to remove all the obstacles if you're doing the right thing. So if you're a good sales rep for me, you know what's going to happen? You're going to have, it's going to be an easier time to do all these things, theoretically at least, right? So the, the and therefore, that's not talking about scharva onish. What's it talking about? It's not talking about salary. It's talking about just the, the wherewithal to be able to do our jobs. So the Ram says that the Parashat Vukhukaz is not talking about it at all. So the big question is, so why not? Right? So that's true. The Ram has just tell, just kicked the can a little longer, further along the road right now, right? Meaning the Torah isn't talking about Sarin Olam it's only talking about expense account Ba'olam So why? That, that, that's a, so we're still stuck at square one now. The Ram has identified the problem, but why not? So here, here there, there are many, the many, many fascinating ideas. The one, the one idea which really, really resonates with me is uh, it's, it's, a, it's attacked in uh, a number of different places. And one is, is the Maharal in Teferis Israel in the 58th chapter. He says the following. HaTorah, the Torah itself is Tikkun Olam Hazeh, is fixing this world. L'kayem es seder Olam Hazeh, to make this a magnificent world. If the Torah had mentioned the world to come, predominantly, If all the Torah talked about was the world to come, and the focus of our world will not be fixing this world, but to get there. It wouldn't have been perfect itself. Think about what the Maral is saying. There's many different people who say this. What the Maral is saying is, a, is, a, is an incredible, incredible insight. And that is the following. If, if our religion, if the framework of our religion would be talking like the Ramchal talks about, and the Torah would start off in the same way the Ramchal started, which is the purpose of this world, world to come, how we achieve it, the choices we make which get us in or get us out, right? If that's the way the Torah had started, then you know how we would operate in this world? Every action we would be doing would be in order to get there. It would be, in a certain sense, we would turn into what we'll call spiritual hedonists. Straight, it's almost an oxymoron. What would we be doing? We'd be trying to get notches on the belt in order to get into there. 
And therefore, sometimes everything and every one around us would turn into a means to getting there. We would find people who are sick to visit them in order to get there. We would find people we can do chesed to in order to get there. But why are we visiting them? Why are we helping those people? It's not for them. It's for us. Do you, you see the danger? The danger of a world which revolves only around personal, personal portfolios in the world to come? Very dangerous. You know, to put it to an extreme, if all one's thinking about is, in a very male-run religion, about 72 virgins in the next world, then you can get people to do atrocious things because they're not thinking about now. They're not thinking about this world looking good. They will kill themselves as they kill everybody else and butcher innocent men, women, and children because they're believing in because what they're thinking is it's not about this world, it's about the next world. The Torah is very, very careful. The Torah educates us. Listen to the, how pristine this is. Of course there's Olam That's basic Jewish tradition. It's replete everywhere you look. Everywhere we look. But the Torah doesn't mention it explicitly because it's educating us. It's saying, you know what? When you see injustice like Avram Avinu, like David Melech, like Eov and his friends, you know what you do? You protest it. You don't let it be. You don't say it's fine. Oh, I'm sure God's got a plan. You know what? You fix. You change. <laughs> that's what the Torah is doing. And that's, that's the subtle education of the fact that Olam Abba, the big plan, is there. Of course it's there. But it's tier number two. That's what's happening, by the way, as long as we're doing the here, the right way. Hmm? Uh, th that's why if you look through all the prophets, Yeshayahu, Yirmiyahu, everybody, they're not talking about Olam Abba. They're saying, folks, fix this world. Fix this world. You see injustice. You see problems. You see, you see inaction, bad action. Fix that. That's how you'll get in. But the Torah is not focusing on our bar. And therefore this leaves us with the most unbelievable tension. Or, or it's, 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 the, it's this dialectic, which is, and this is almost the most important concept that we can talk about, is the, rule, the rules or the game plan of this game. But the Torah doesn't talk about it because it doesn't want to be the focus. And sometimes when our focus in Judaism becomes only Olam esque only about our personal portfolio, only about where we are getting, we as in individuals, then we lose the picture of what the Torah was also talking about, which is the Tikkun Olam which is the way to get there. Mimela, by the way. And this is what the Ramam is talking about over here. This is the, the, the incredible dialect which exists in this 11th Ikar. And it changes the way that we lead our lives. I hope this is a meaningful um, bouncing, a jumping board for further discussion on this incredible topic. Thank you very much.